Welcome to CareCast, CareNet's podcast on family, faith, and life, with me, Vincent DiCaro, CareNet's Chief Outreach Officer, and Roland Warren, CareNet's President and CEO. In this episode of CareCast, Roland and I will talk about how the Washington Post gets it wrong on abortion again, and this time, they really get it wrong. So here we are for another uh, episode of CareCast, and uh, we have yet another column from the Washington Post to talk about. Uh, so in our last live chat, we talked about a column from uh, humor columnist Gene Weingarten. This week it's uh, a column from the opinion writer Ruth Marcus. So she wrote uh, an article for the Washington Post dated uh, March 9th. Yes. Uh, I would have aborted a fetus with Down syndrome. Women need that right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then she goes on to make uh, a variety of arguments that mm-hmm. if you kind of start taking a closer look at them they just really don't don't hold up um, yeah I mean they're incredibly they're incredibly problematic if, if you if you uh, consider them I think when you're looking at something like this and, and something I just encourage people to do is not necessarily listen to what people say I mean you got to do that but the but the thing behind before you do that or while you're doing that is that you need to try to unpack what's the principle behind what they're saying mm-hmm. because yeah. it, it because you know, um, principles are what sort of guide culture. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what someone says, but it's the principle mm-hmm. behind what that person says that guides culture and that in many ways becomes sort of transcend- transcendent in, in lots of different ways. Right, absolutely. And those, are the, those principles then help us determine what actions and behaviors to take in other areas of life, right? A- absolutely. It's, it's like thinking about a, a frame of a building, mm-hmm. right? So if a building has certain can have certain kinds of walls, stucco, this, that, plywood, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. but it's only going to be able to have a certain structure mm-hmm. based on the framing. Mm-hmm. And the framing are the principles, mm-hmm. right, yeah, yeah. when you pull back. And so yeah. don't get... And, you, know, yeah. you can tack a whole bunch of different stuff on that same frame, but it's the frame that determines yeah. uh, what what's underneath all of that. And those frames are then, of course, as you mentioned, carried throughout culture. And so let's look at some of those frames. Yes. So the framework that Ruth Marcus of the Washington Post, who's the deputy editorial page editor right. of the Washington Post. So this is not a you know unknown quantity here. This is a, a very uh, well-known and mainstream um, opinion piece writer. So um, so basically, the, the premise of our article is that there are some laws that are starting to um, come up in different states that are aimed at barring women from having abortions after the fetus has been determined to have Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so she's basically arguing against this. And she's saying that if I had found out that you know I was pregnant with a child with Down syndrome, I would have aborted, uh, aborted that child. So let's just kind of go one by one through some of the things she says here to kind of and kind of break these down. So. She could say, she says, I can say without hesitation that tragic as it would have felt and ghastly as a second trimester abortion would have been, I would have terminated those pregnancies had the testing come back positive. I would have grieved the loss and moved on. Right. And two bar- paragraphs later, mm-hmm. she says, um, if you believe abortion is equivalent to murder, the taking of a human life, then of course you would make a different choice. But that is not my belief. So in other words, she does not believe that abortion is the taking of a human life. But right before that, she right. said she would have, it would have been ghastly and yeah. tragic, and yes. she would have grieved it. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. So there's, there's two pieces here, principles here, that are kind of interesting and that are in, in conflict. One is abortion being ghastly and tragic. 
a second trimester abortion. Now, we've been told by the other side that abortion is none of those things. Right. And if anyone tries to make the argument that having an abortion is tragic in some way, shape, or form, or ghastly in any way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. that you are against women's rights and right. you're wrong and right. the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And even a woman who comes forward and says, you know what, I had an abortion, it was tragic. No, she must be silenced. She must be silenced. <laughs> yeah. So she's here saying that why, why is it tragic and ghastly? Yeah. If it's not taking a human yeah. life, well, right. then what's tragic and ghastly about it? Yeah. I mean, if you have a cancerous tumor removed, what is tragic and ghastly about that? Exactly. No one would talk you about would celebrate. You that. would celebrate that, right? Yeah. And, and, and we've been told all along mm -hmm. by other folks on the other side, right, that abortion is safer even than birth, yeah. right? It's just Use, like any the, other medical the, procedure. Like, all the all the other data, right? Which is obviously not true because they're using some different mm -hmm. analysis to do that. But so, no one would say that. Right. At all. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so why why is she saying it here, especially? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if abortion is safer than birth, mm -hmm. and a, a second trimester abortion would be tragic and ghastly, that would mean birth is more tragic mm -hmm. and more ghastly in and of itself as a procedure. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you just walk through the principles of what she's saying. And then she says, I would have grieved the loss. Mm -hmm. The loss of what? Right. Okay, so there's a couple of losses here. There's one, the loss of life. But she says she doesn't believe that abortion is taking of a human life. So she wouldn't have been grieving the loss of life mm -hmm. because she doesn't believe that. Mm -hmm. So then the loss, what loss would it have been? It would have been the loss of the opportunity to raise a child with Down syndrome. Right, right, which is the thing that she is arguing that is the reason that she had the abortion. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she should be celebrating the loss yes. of that. If that's a bad thing, yes. losing it is good. It's intrinsically bad. Right, right. It's intrinsically bad. So losing bad things is good, so she should not be grieving a loss. She should be celebrating a gain. It, absolutely. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? Like When you under, unpack the principles of what she's saying, it's it's so double-minded it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think what she's tr trying to do here is she's trying to have it both ways. I think she's yes. she's trying to kind of get the sympathy vote, so to speak, and try to, you know, drum up some emotion around this and make yes. people think that she's, you know, being very compassionate and yes. thoughtful about this. Um but at the same time, she's then contradicting those very emotions yes. in the logic that she's using. Absolutely. And you see that in the beginning of the article because she makes the comment about the new Gerber baby that has Down syndrome. is awfully cute. So she's trying to set herself up as reasonable, compassionate, and everything. Right. And then she kind of gets into her worldview, which really... Yeah, it doesn't jive it doesn't, with the emotions that she's trying to absolutely. evoke there. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, so I think the next... Um, I think the next part of the article that was was certainly questionable um she says uh certainly and this is another part where she basically makes what appears to be a pro-life argument right mm -hmm. and then somehow turns it into a pro-abortion argument so let's so, just so yeah. here this is what she says certainly to be a parent is to take the risks that accompany parenting you love your child for who she is not what you want her to be so that would sound like and this is something that you talk about often, yes. is that we have to, you know, we love people for their being yes. and not for their doing. Absolutely. Right? And right. she's essentially making that argument, right? Right. But she then is. the very next sentence she says, but accepting that essential truth is different from compelling a woman to give birth to a child whose intellectual cap capacity will be impaired, whose life choices will be limited, whose health may be compromised. So she 
Yeah. I mean, those are two really opposite Absolutely. sentences right there. So yeah. you should love them for their being, not their doing. But if their doing is going to be impaired in some way, shape, or form, you have you have to have the right to end that their being. Their being. Yes. So you don't really love them for their being. You're only loving them for their doing. Yeah. Th- that's really basically what she's saying. So it's it's yeah. really very it's very inconsistent. And really, what you're coming up against here's a principle again, is that there's sort of two ways to think about interactions in the human existence. One is to kind of view relationships or or constructs, so to speak, as, as consumer. Mm-hmm. So if you have a consumer mindset in terms of how you approach people, how you approach things, and a consumer mindset makes sense in certain settings. You know, you walk into, you know, a restaurant or something like that, well, you have a consumer mindset. I'm going to provide you uh, some some money and you're going to provide me some food. Mm-hmm. So it's a consumer transaction. Mm-hmm. You give me food, I give you money. Mm-hmm. You give me no food, I give you no money. Mm-hmm. In other words, in that case, mm-hmm. you're not se- you're not you're not separating anything there. It's a consumer transaction mm-hmm. kind kind of a relationship. So in other words, to use a kind of follow the analogy, the restaurant's doing is its being. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> you're a restaurant in your doing and you're a restaurant in your being. Mm-hmm. We don't separate those things. Right. Right. right? Your doing is your being. And that's if what they people, call themselves a restaurant, but they don't give me any food. Then there's there's it doesn't make any sense. They're exactly. not in a restaurant if they're not giving me food. Exactly. And that's why you, when you don't go back to a restaurant, because they say they're friendly people, but they never give me food when I give them money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. no, the service was great, but there was no food. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Your doing is yeah. your being. Right. You don't yeah. separate doing from being in a yeah. consumer transaction. Right. In a covenant transaction, mm-hmm. covenant excuse me, covenant relationships, that's a consumer relationship with a restaurant. A covenant relationship like marriage Mm -hmm. and frankly like child rearing, like having children, is a covenant relationship. Mm -hmm. And that basically says, I separate your your doing from your being, Mm -hmm. right? That's how you actually know you're in a covenant relationship. And a covenant relationship basically says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do regardless of what you do. Because I'm in a covenant relationship with you. So my covenant relationship with you is driven by your being, not by your doing. Right. So if you think about it in terms of child rearing, like she says, you don't say, oh, there's a child growing inside of me. I'm only going to love this child if the child has blue eyes mm-hmm. or is this tall mm-hmm. or does well in school. Mm-hmm. You don't say, no, you have a covenant relationship mm-hmm. with that child, mm-hmm. which is what love actually, in that case, is love actually is. And she makes that argument. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Affirming that child rearing is, in fact, mm-hmm. a covenant relationship. And then right below that, she shifts mm-hmm. into making child rearing a consumer relationship. Yeah. It's very bizarre. I mean, you want to sort of give people the benefit of the doubt that there, there must at least be some internal logic, at least, mm-hmm. to their argument, even if it doesn't you know, bear scrutiny when you start taking external factors into account. But I think even here, there's, there's very little in, even internal logic. From one sentence to the next, yes, which is just is puzzling, and it's yes. it's and it's almost it makes it difficult to sort of like figure out where she's coming from, really. And, and you know, we've talked about this, and and, and really, where she's coming from mm-hmm. is that there is nothing higher than choice. Mm-hmm. It is the highest idea. It's the highest idea having a choice. So choices are morally neutral, right? Like that. that, yeah. that, that yeah. In the context of abortion, there is no such thing as a bad choice. There's no such thing as a bad choice. Yeah. So it's, it is impossible for a woman to make the wrong choice. Abortion is always the right choice, mm-hmm. which is, is that really choice? Mm-hmm. Like choice, yeah. like we make choices. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we say, you know, I made that choice, but it wasn't the right choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's kind of what the word means and what it implies, right, right, that right. there could be a wrong choice and there could be a right choice. I'm going to make a choice. Mm-hmm. It could be either wrong or right. Or at least that there's gradations, right? Absolutely. Because otherwise it wouldn't be a choice. You would just pick neither or both. Exactly. Yeah. Right? But yeah. when it comes to this, issue Mm -hmm. 
No. Yeah. Abortion is always the right choice. Mm-hmm. And if you challenge it mm-hmm. and say it's a wrong choice, mm-hmm. you, then yeah. you've got a problem. Yeah. It, yeah. it never can be a right choice, mm-hmm. which is where she's coming from. So you can see here when you start to look back at principles, yeah. there's a real problem here. Now, another principle mm-hmm. here kind of goes into this whole notion about the, 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 what's going to happen for, with this child, the intellectual capabilities, and, and kind of repeat that, that piece, Vince, that we were looking at there. So, yeah, so she writes, but accepting that essential truth. And what essential truth is she talking about? The essential truth that you should love your child for who they are, not what they are going to be. Right. So, so accepting that essential truth is different from compelling a woman to give birth to a child whose intellectual ca- capacity will be impaired, whose life choices will be limited, whose health may be compromised. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Now, so that's an interesting point there, whose life choices would be limited. The principle there, mm-hmm. then, is if you know that your child's life choices will be limited, mm-hmm. and, and again, limited is not defined here. Right, right. It, it's just limited. Whatever your particular worldview may be about what your child's life choices should be, but they're limited in some way, Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, mm-hmm. by your own metric, mm-hmm. then aborting... Yeah, abortion is justified. Is absolutely justified. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I'm a black man. Mm-hmm. Note the file. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, I've noticed that. Yeah. If you can't see that through the radio. Yeah. And I started to think about the principle here, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was looking at it through the lens of, of what has happened to black men, and the data on black men. So mm-hmm. she quotes a bunch of different statistics here about, you know, about uh, uh, the IQ. IQ and, and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I started to think about this. Black men tend to die younger, mm-hmm. right, yeah. from homicide, heart disease. Uh, have, uh, are more likely to drop out of school, more likely to be incarcerated. I mean, all these data points, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, that talk about mm-hmm. life choices and being limited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if, if, if she wrote this exact same article, and instead of saying, I would abort a fetus with Down syndrome, it would be, I would abort a black male. Yeah. How would this article have been received? And if I wrote that article, mm-hmm. would she say, well, it's a choice? Mm-hmm. Or would she say, no, no, it's wrong mm-hmm. that you would say that? Right. What do yeah. you think? She would obviously say that it's wrong. And then what our response to her would be, our point exactly. <laughs> but you're using, <laughs> but you're, you, she is using the same exact logic to yes. justify the abortion of a child with Down syndrome. So she, you know, she's trying to get the sympathy vote around this and how difficult it is to raise a child with Down syndrome and how difficult their life is going to be. Uh, but in some ways, it actually just makes her argument even more odious yes. because basically what it's – but it's it's even further dehumanizing yes. people with Down syndrome. And it's basically saying that yeah, if you're talking about black people or some other group that maybe has some disadvantages, that's okay. But when it comes to people with Down syndrome, they're just so, you know, miserable yes. that they're the ones that we should be allowed to abort. Exactly. Because, again, life choices, mm-hmm. choices are limited. Uh-huh. Limited – Based from whose perspective? Yeah, yeah. From what you believe they should have mm-hmm. the capability to do, but is it? Are they unhappy? Yeah. yeah. Are they? I mean, it really is. It really yeah. again. It's valuing life, yeah. not based on someone's being, mm-hmm. but based on someone's doing. Yeah. And also, it's making a value judgment mm-hmm. about things that you. I mean, a value judgment in terms of certainty and uncertainty. Like, like you're you're actually making a statement that you're certain about what's going to happen with this child, and therefore I'm going to do this. When the reality is, you're not certain. 
you're uncertain. Yeah. In the same way, when you quote those statistics about black men, mm -hmm. the reality is that's not certain that it would happen with a black man. Right, right, right. Right? But that's what the data shows. Yeah. yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it really, when you start to apply the principle that she has in her article mm -hmm. to other areas. Yeah, yeah. You have some really, really difficult problems to deal with, and and from the the challenge is the fact that frankly Down syndrome syndrome kids don't have an advocacy group like there might be for black men or some other uh, minority group or group that's out in the public square that's championing their cause outside outside of the womb. Mm -hmm. That's the other that's the other issue there. Yeah, go ahead. And, and speaking, you know, speaking of you know outside the womb, yeah. um, if you know if if uh, having Down syndrome. Uh, or you know, finding a diagnosis of Down syndrome yes. is a is a justification, a legitimate lust justification for abortion. Then, why why what what happens if the child is discovered to have Down syndrome the moment it's born? Yes, just as it leaves the womb, it's discovered that the child has Down syndrome. Why would it not be okay to kill the child at that point? And it is okay to kill the child when it's in the womb. That's right. And as usual, pro-choice arguments um, really just fail to kind of address that distinction and why why it shouldn't matter right. um, and it's just it's one of those things where you would I would really love to have the opportunity to really put that question to somebody who makes an argument like this that again it, it, it's it's important that we're really clear here she is saying that the the the, the, the thing that makes this choice legitimate and yes. justifies this choice is the fact that this child has Down syndrome. Yes. This child will be disabled and disadvantaged, and it's going to be a burden on their family. And it's going to be a burden on them. Therefore, justifying them, uh, aborting them is justified. Right. They have no intrinsic value right. consistent with right. other people. Right. So absolutely none of that changes yes. when the child is born. None of it. And in fact, it becomes worse. Yeah. Right? Because when the child's in the womb, mm -hmm. There's a there's a there's a concern about mm -hmm. what these problems may be. Mm -hmm. There's a concern about what the burden of this child may be mm -hmm. for the child, for culture, mm -hmm. for the family. Right. There's a concern yeah. about that. But once the child is born, mm -hmm. the concern actually becomes a reality. Right. Which means if it was a burden when you have the concern, mm -hmm. when the child is born, it's even more of a burden when right. you have the reality. So if anything, using yes. her logic. Yes. Killing that child is more justified yes. the moment it's born than the moment before it's born. Exactly. And let's go back to something we said before. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, mm -hmm. a third trimester abortion is tragic and ghastly, mm -hmm. if you kill the child after it's born, mm -hmm. then you don't have to worry about a third trimester abortion being tragic and ghastly. Right. <laughs> Solve right. that problem. Oh, but wait, oh, but wait a minute. Oh, that's right. Birth is even more tragic than right because birth is worse than abortion, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. I know. I know. I, yeah. I mean, you just the logic just takes the, you to really right. weird places. Exactly. But yeah. if you follow that and you don't believe that, yeah. then it seems to me then then you avoid the abortion part and then you just kill the child after it's born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Case yeah. closed. Right. Problem solved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really, again, the principles behind this kind of thinking are so dangerous, mm -hmm. and they're the same principles mm -hmm. that have led to the most heinous atrocities in the human existence. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me again of that article that we, we, we quoted before from a pro-choice writer mm -hmm. who was saying that, so what if I believe that, that, that a fetus is indeed a life, but it's a life worth sacrificing? Yeah. And at the end of the article, she says, I would put the life of the mother over the life of the fetus every single time. Yeah. All the while uh, uh, believing that the fetus is indeed a life, 
a life worth sacrificing. Right. Same logic here in this article, yep. and like we did last mm -hmm. time, if you change the word mother and fetus for Nazi and Jew, mm -hmm. right? For slaveholder and slave, right? For, you know, able-bodied person and disabled-bodied person. What do you end up with? What you end up with is the same worldview that guided Hitler, Mao Zedong, mm -hmm. Stalin, Pol Pot. I mean, you end up with that worldview. And these are the principles mm -hmm. that led to the destruction of so many human lives mm -hmm. in the past and even still today because they are the principles that are underlying the abortion argument and they are principles that are underlying particularly this targeting of children with Down syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and that, that whole eugenics piece there is... It really, it's really interesting. She actually, uh, you know, kind of acknowledges the the eugenics piece, which is, which is, I, I have to give her some credit, I suppose, because for the mo most of the time, you know, the uh, when a pro-choice writer is making this sort of argument, they'll never kind of talk about genetics. But she actually acknowledges that there's there's some kind of eugenics related mm -hmm. issues going on here when she says. Uh, you know, technological advances in prenatal testing pose difficult mor moral choices about what, if any, genetic anomaly or defect justifies an abortion. Nearsightedness being short, there are creepy eugenic aspects of the new technology that call for vigorous public debate. So she's acknowledging that this smacks of eugenics, right? Um, which is a really interesting acknowledgement because, yeah, we agree. It does smack of eugenics. It actually, I mean, if you really, again, look at the root of yes. what eugenics was all about, it was basically getting rid of undesirables, right? Right. And, 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 and here's where the problem comes in. She acknowledges that, mm -hmm. that it requires vigorous public debate. But then how should the public debate be resolved? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Should the public debate be resolved with a high value, mm -hmm. right, on the mm -hmm. vulnerable, mm -hmm. those who can't speak for themselves? Mm -hmm. Or should the highest value be placed on what the majority of people think? So you have no intrinsic value, separate and distinct from what we think. And if you read her article, what you find is she actually votes that, that, that the value should be placed, that the, the, that the highest value or who should have, whose opinion should be valued most is the majority. And here's why. She says, I'm going to be blunt here. That was not the child I wanted. That was not the choice I would have made. You can call me selfish or worse, but I'm in good company. Mm -hmm. The evidence is clear that most women confronted with the same unhappy alternative would make the same choice. Right. So she's basically saying, if you're in the majority, if you're in the majority, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Might makes right. Majority makes right. Majority makes morality. Mm -hmm. That's basically what she's what she's arguing. Mm -hmm. So having these debates in the public square again, this sounds like reasonable and whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But she's already concluded how the debate should be solved. Mm -hmm. The debate should always be solved in favor of what the majority of people feel. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the reality is that, uh, you know, she's calling for vigorous public debate. But in this very article, she she's essentially sort of trying to trivialize and make fun of people who are engaging in vigorous public debate, like lawmakers who are maybe trying to pass some laws around this. And then she says, in an argument worthy of the handmaid's tale, like, you know, these, you know, really, uh, you know, kind of scary scenarios that our culture right. is becoming like the handmaid's tale. So the people who actually are engaging in vigorous debate, she essentially is making fun of them or saying that they're trying to create like a science fiction uh, movie in our in our society. So she doesn't really want vigorous debate. No. She just wants you to agree with her. Right. 
that she should have the choice to do whatever she wants. And, and in, in a weird sort of way, it almost kind of smacks of vigilanteism because she, yeah. she closes the article with saying, these excruciated choices be left to individual women, not to government officials who believe they know best. Right? right. So, so basically vigilanteism is this notion that we should, quote, take the law into our own hands. Yes. But isn't the whole purpose of law that we elect government officials to make laws for us <laughs> and basically limit behaviors that we think are somehow unacceptable right. in our culture or right. morally or legal, whatever it might be. Absolutely. That's like what laws are, and that's why we elect government officials to, exactly. to create those laws. But in this situation, she's basically saying these choices should be left to individual women. Basically, we have to take the law into our own hands on this right. one. Right. Exactly. And if the law comes down on another side, then it can't be right. And it really mm -hmm. goes to this notion of um, could the courts get it wrong, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And obviously... She's saying the courts that are making the changes to protect Down syndrome children are getting it wrong. Uh -huh. Yeah. But then if they got it wrong then, couldn't they have gotten it wrong when they uh -huh. decided that Roe v. Wade was just? Right, right. <laughs> it, it was government officials and people they appointed yes. who made those calls. So Exactly. Yeah. And again, it's like what we said earlier. It's like everything dies on the altar of choice, right? Yes. So, like, you know, it, we, we're sitting here trying to, like, sort of make this— Re yeah. Like, try to figure out the reasoning here. But the reality is that there's probably not a whole lot. Yes. Um, it's really just about we should just have the choice to make whatever choice we want without having to deal with anyone telling us that that choice, there's a possibility yes. that any of those choices could have been wrong. That's right. All the while trying to mask our choices in compassion. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. in, in compassion. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and the, real reason, the real thing is that, you know, what really makes us compassionate is when we care for the vulnerable. Yeah. It doesn't make us compassionate when we care for the powerful. Right. It makes us compassionate when we care for the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And these laws and this whole discussion, mm -hmm. and the reason why people are objecting, uh, certainly from a pro-life perspective, objecting with what she's saying, is because we understand, really, that compassionate people don't sacrifice the vulnerable for themselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Compassionate people sacrifice themselves mm -hmm. for the vulnerable. Right. And that actually is what she's tapping into when she says that she, you know, respects and admires those families that bring those children into the world deep inside of her. Mm -hmm. She kind of already knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's fighting against that because she's got this other perspective around choice mm -hmm. that's challenging that. But she really wants to be compassionate, which is why she tries to shroud her letter with some of that. And at the end of the day, she understands what compassion really means. Compassion really means that you don't sacrifice the vulnerable for yourself. Yeah that you sacrifice yourself, your wants, your needs, your comfort for the vulnerable. And ultimately, that that is the highest human yeah. virtue, absolutely. not choice. Right. And we all understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a wonderful way to end this. And that's what we're really in the business of here at CareNet, which is yeah. it's compassion. Yeah, that's, it. that's right. We're in the business of compassion. And so, yeah. again, we appreciate you, uh, you listening to this episode of CareCast. And we'll definitely see you next time. Yes. Until next time, may God bless you daily as you serve him faithfully in all you do. Amen? Amen.